Last Sunday, we started our summer series called Benedictions, Doxologies, and Prayers. And if you remember, there's a difference between the three. Uh, A benediction is essentially from God to us, from heaven to earth. A doxology is from earth to heaven. And the language is a bit different. It's where we're offering praise to God, glory to God. And prayers are then a request. Sometimes one is wrapped around the other. Well, this is one of the most powerful sentences in all of Scripture, and actually all of language. Paul, carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, suddenly breaks forth in this doxology, which is very powerful. Again, Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It is your word. Your Holy Spirit carried the Apostle Paul. He penned it, and all of it is from you. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We would never believe that Holy Spirit if it weren't for your illuminating work. And we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds now, that you would cause hearts that are not beating for you to suddenly beat, even this day, even at this moment. Cause us to be attentive to your word and to our own souls. Give us the ability to really listen, to listen deeply to the wonderful promise that is present here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a really incredible statement. If we are moved by the Holy Spirit and our ears are really opened and our eyes are really open and our mind thinks correctly and our heart feels correctly, these are life-changing words. To summarize what Paul is saying here, I want you to look at the title that I've given this sermon. I've never said that before. I think a lot about the title, but this one's unique. It's 66 words long. It sounds like a Puritan. 66 words, I think. Don't spend your time counting them. I promise that's not what God wants you to do. But I want you to turn to page six, to the top of the page, and you'll see a pyramid that begins with the word able. This is what Paul is saying, and I want us to say it together. I'll start and just read it with me in my cadence. Able, able to do, able to do what we ask, able to do what we think, able to do what we ask or think, able to do all that we ask or think, able to do above all that we ask or think, able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think, able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Do you believe that's true? God is able. 
Sinclair Ferguson, commenting on these words of Paul, said this. This statement should be savored. Its taste lingering in our mouths long after we have read it. Because it represents a buildup of thought that breaks through the limits of language. And that's what's happened. Paul is reflecting on what God is able to do upon his power, his omnipotence, all-powerful, his omniscience, all-knowing, his presence, omnipresent. And where it leads him is to offer this remarkable statement that has often been called a super superlative, highlighting God's ability And as it highlights God's ability, it underlines our inability. As it highlights God's ability, it underlines our inability. And this is what I mean. Our prayers cannot stretch to the limits of what God is able to do. I want you to hear that again. Our prayers cannot can never stretch to the limits of what God is able to do. So I'm not sure what you might say would be the most powerful, profound, courageous prayer that you have ever offered for a child, for a spouse, for a neighbor, for our country, for a friend. I don't know what it is. But I know this much, no matter how powerful, how full of conviction, how full of faith, how compelled by zeal you were, your prayer cannot stretch to the limit of what God is able to do. Now, what's amazing about this statement is that Paul gives us this doxology out of one of the most amazing prayers that has ever been offered. He has just prayed for the people of this church in Ephesus to comprehend something that is incomprehensible. That's pretty remarkable. Here's what he says. Just listen as I read it. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And anytime someone bowed, it meant a greater sense of urgency because typically they prayed standing up. So when they move to their knees, there is, there is desperation, there is desire. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, it's always about his glory, he may, and here comes the request, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Pay attention to that word. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, capital S, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is, and listen to this, the breadth and length and height and depth. Those are perfect measurements. But of what? The love of Christ to know the love of Christ, a love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
You've never prayed a prayer that great unless you prayed that prayer. It is remarkable. You're asking God to cause people to comprehend something that's incomprehensible, and it is the love of God. This perfect love, so wide, so deep, so long, so high. And then he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He just thought something. He just asked something. And what Paul is saying is even that prayer cannot stretch the limits of what God is able to do. This super superlative highlights God's ability. God has the ability to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. How do we know? The first three words. Verse 20. Now to him. Who, who is him? Not to him who is able, but who is him? The him you know is God. This God created everything by the word of his power. When I say the next several things, pause and let it sink in, especially if you've been in the church a long time. This hymn parted the Red Sea. He changed water to wine. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 plus, and then 4,000 plus with just a few fish and loaves. He cleansed lepers, and he stopped bleeding. He was asked about paying the temple tax once, and he didn't have a coin. So this is what he said. Peter, I want you to go back down to the sea, and I want you to cast a line with the hook into the water. The first fish that you catch, and remember Peter was a fisherman, the first fish that you catch, I want you to open its mouth and the shekel will be in its mouth. Now, if you're a visitor here, we as a church believe that that actually happened. It's not just a make-believe story that causes a child's eyes to get wide. It's a story that we believe that God actually, in his sovereignty, commanded to happen. That's amazing, isn't it? How did it happen? Well, the God who created everything by the word of his power created that fish. Knowing and creating that fish that one day that fish would have a shekel in his mouth. I don't know how it got there. I don't know if somebody flipped a shekel into the Sea of Galilee, the fish swallowed it up, or if God just miraculously placed it there. I have no idea. Nobody does. But I know this much. Peter, being around Jesus long enough, knew that he could do some things that no one else could do. He's able. And so in obedience, he walked down to that shore. He picked up his line. He cast it into the water. The fish bit. He took the fish. He opened its mouth. And there was the shekel. What would you do? He grabbed the shekel. That shekel existed. God used the hands of some man at some point to make that shekel. 
Here is the shekel. Or he made it himself miraculously. Either way, he takes the shekel. Now Peter's walking back to the temple. He's going to pay the tax with that shekel. What did it feel like in his hand? Did he flip it? Did he look at it? Was it tarnished? Was it shiny? I have no idea. But it was real. And he paid the tax because he's able. What did the man do that received that shekel? Did Peter stick around to tell him where it came from? Nobody knows. But that shekel exists. And I don't know where it is now. It's probably buried somewhere deep, deep under many tells. So far, we can never see it. But it existed. Because this him is God. And God can make a man catch a fish with a coin in it that will be used to pay taxes. He raised Lazarus from the dead and others. He calmed the storm when his disciples were terrified in the water. And when he hushed the wind and the waves, the disciples said to each other, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey? Well, this is him, the one you are praying to. The one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Dave and Claire will have vision for each Asia. Kelly will have vision for this radio station to go to all these different nations. The Ten Pennies have vision for what God might do in our church and at Casa del Lego. But no matter what they pray, no matter how big and, and crazy your prayers sound, God is able. Our prayers cannot stretch the limits of what God is able to do. Such as this. The man writing these words stood giving approval as rocks crushed the head of Stephen. He died. And Saul delighted. Saul then moved to go after other Christians to persecute them, calling them out to throw them in jail, delighting if they would be, they would be killed. But then in Acts later, he has a vision. And the vision is this him who speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul repents. He comes to faith in Jesus. And then he's carried along by the Holy Spirit to not only write these words that we're studying right now, but 13 different books of the Bible. Do you think the disciples, as he was stoning Stephen, imagined that that could happen? I don't. I think it was exceedingly, abundantly above all that they could have ever asked or thought. But God was able. Have you given up on someone in your family, on a coworker, on a friend, thinking there's no way? Have you given up on leaders all over this world? There's no way. God is able. And only God is able. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Well, I don't think you could make that up either. 
God's word right here tells us that this God who is able delights in using us, his people, to reveal his power to the world to save those who are lost. That's remarkable. He did it in Saul's redemption, bringing a man to speak the truth who had to be terrified to meet this man who killed Christians. Our Lord delights in placing this power in us that is at work within us for his glory. In the church, we're often thinking about vision. What's next? Oh, next week and in the months to come, we're going to be sharing with you what we think the Lord's calling us to do as these new doors open. But remember this, with all the exciting stuff that's going to happen, the most significant resource in this church is you with the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And it's not always that which is so big, but sometimes that which is really small that transforms the life of a person when they see the way you're responding to something because there is a power and a light in you that is beyond anything they have ever seen before. Consider this, and what I'm about to mention is happening or has happened in the life of our church recently. A high school student keeps Ziploc bags filled with socks, chapstick, lotion, toothpaste and a toothbrush and a water bottle, at least 15 bags in the back of her car at all times for when she goes to minister to the homeless, to touch them by painting their nails or brushing their hair. She knows these are the things that they need. That seed planted in her by a third grade teacher, who I'm sure at times wondered, am I making any difference at all? A man who once lost his job generously gives his cell phone out, eager to walk beside those now experiencing the same frightening providence. A woman in her 50s sits on a bus traveling 15 hours to a Young Life camp in Buena Vista, Colorado. She's with an underprivileged youth. And the only limitation of this underprivileged youth being able to go on the trip is if she has lice or scabies. She doesn't, so she can go. She's hoping and praying that this underprivileged young girl will pray for salvation in Jesus. A third grader leads a VBS game in Zambia, never imagining that the child he's loving on one day will be the pastor of a local church, a local church that will go on to plant over a hundred other churches. A man who battled cancer calls a younger man who's battling cancer because he knows. A woman disciples prostitutes and teaches them to make jewelry as alternative employment in East Asia. And every week, every week, thousands of members of this church faithfully go to their places of employment, seeking to bring Christ's glory in the witness 
of their work and words. In every place, an ambassador for Christ. No more or less significant than what we just experienced this morning. We as a church believe in the priesthood of all believers. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are one of his priests, called to go wherever you live, wherever you recreate, wherever you eat, wherever you work, to make known the name of Jesus. And the power to do that is the power of God working within us. So whatever prayer you might have for your neighborhood, for your company, for your child's sports teams or their school, your prayer and my prayer cannot stretch the limits of what God is able to do. He's able. He is able to do immeasurably more exceedingly abundantly more than all that we can ask or think. That's what his word says. But some, because of deep pain, deep fear, deep frustration, might say, I understand that he's able, but is he willing? That's a fair and important question. What do you do when there is untimely death, overwhelming grief, bad news from a doctor? It's part of living in a fallen world. And that happens. And when it happens, where do you turn? My encouragement is to turn to a God who has the ability to do exceedingly abundantly above what we think and ask. The sin that is in this world has created that remarkable pain. But this God did something that we could never conceive of. He sent his son, born in a manger, to live a life that we could never live and die a death we all deserve to die. Jesus, in facing that death, And the reality of becoming sin, taking on the wrath of the Father, prayed to the God who is able. And he said, Father, if you were willing, take this cup from me. And the Father wasn't willing. And Jesus died that you and I might live. He did what we could never think or even imagine so that we could live forever in the confidence of the one who is always able. When a bitter, bitter, bitter providence comes upon you, and I see my share as a pastor, I'm always amazed when I hear a woman or a man say, he's carrying us. And he is. He is actually revealing what Paul says here. He is able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask or think. And so a mom hugs another mom, grieving together, 
hoping together, trusting that God is good because she knows. A friend puts his arm around another friend because he knows. And together they walk through this bitter providence. And in time they realize that their only true hope really is this God who is able. He is able. He is able to do more than we can even ask or think. He is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we can ask or think. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So ask for big things. Ask for things that reveal his glory. Do so in confidence, trusting as you finish your prayer, thy will be done, that whatever his will is, is born out of a character of a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-wise. And if the answer he gives to you is no, or wait, not yet, trust him. Because this all-powerful, all-present God is also all-knowing. His will is based on eternity, based on things that you and I can't see, but he can. And his will is perfect. He's able. Father in heaven, these words that Paul burst into in regards to doxology, praising you, were all written to bring you glory. And we teach our little ones from the youngest of ages that the chief end of man, the purpose of man, is to give you glory and enjoy you forever. Lord, would you draw near even now, showing your ability, showing your power, showing your grace, and whatever heavy burdens or bitter providences are consuming your children, would you bring them to a place of trust? Fill them with your glory and your goodness and make your presence more known to them and your power more known to them than the disease, the despair, the hurt, whatever it is, and fill them, replace that with hope that is beyond what we can even ask or imagine. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.